What's up? And welcome to Clarity for Parents of Athletes, bringing you stories from professional athletes about their parents and how they were raised. My name is Gabe Nosair from aclearmind.com. All right, and welcome to episode number 21 of my podcast, Clarity for Parents of Athletes. I appreciate you listening, and as always, I ask that you please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast with others so that they can be just as inspired as you hopefully are by listening to the stories of these athletes and the way they were raised in hopes of helping today's parents which also in turn helps the children. So and that's what it's all about over here, to help them be able to flourish more on the field, on the court, in the rink, in the arena, wherever they perform their sports. I have some really cool, exciting interviews coming up. Uh, I don't want to give away names, but I have a USA volleyball player or a former USA volleyball player, a former tennis professional who ended up being pretty big time uh, several years ago, played a Wimbledon, was real high on the doubles circuit. If there's anyone that you want me to interview, just let me know and I will do my best to try and get them. And obviously, if you can just connect me with those people, if you're friends with them, then make sure and connect me and, and I would really appreciate that. I also wanted to let you know about a group that I have on Facebook. It's a special group called Clarity for Parents of Athletes. And in the group, I post articles and different things. We have different discussions about topics related to parenting athletes and and sports in general, youth sports in general. It's a great way, it's a great platform to get your message and your opinion across to others who are kind of on that same level and same frequency. It's available on Facebook and just Do a search for the group, Clarity for Parents of Athletes, and you should be able to get in right away. Now, this episode was motivated by (laughs) some uh, experiences that I had while I I attend. I have season tickets to our, our USL soccer team. It's a professional team called New Mexico United, and they're in the USL championship, which is just one tier below MLS. Now, the team is doing really well. The organization is fantastic. Their marketing is amazing. The energy at the games is incredible. We're leading the, and I, I put we're because I'm, I feel like I'm part of it, at least of the fan base. And I have a sign for my business over there, so I can say we're, can I? Anyway, uh, so we're leading the league in attendance and in the USL championship. So it's really pretty exciting to be there, be part of it. And the team plays good soccer as well and is in the hunt for a playoff spot right now as as I'm speaking. Now, along with the energy of the crowd and the excitement, there comes this other side of being in the stands, especially with my six-year-old son, where I have a lot of opportunities to educate him about at least the way I want to educate him about what he's hearing in the stands. So it's all too common these days for fans to berate referees and to heckle opponents of the team 
and say basically unkind things. You know, in, in games, you often hear a lot, you know, especially the games that you're watching on TV, you hear boos a lot. And you definitely hear boos in the stands when you're at a sporting event. But when you're up close and in inside a sporting event and at the facility or at the arena or, or the court, whatever it is, the stadium, you tend to hear a little bit more specifically what individuals are saying. So it's not just like this giant boo that everybody's saying. You hear these basically unkind things that fans are saying to the referees and that are saying to other players or the players of the other team. This has become, for some reason, socially acceptable. Now, with my son, as I imagine most people are, we I teach him to speak kindly to others. And I find that in these games that he looks at me when he hears things and he and I tell him, I say, look, that is not kind for them to say, even though it's at a sporting event. And it's become this cultural norm, as I mentioned, this socially acceptable way of dealing with situations that are unpleasant to the person observing this game, right? It's become all too common and okay to be like, okay, go ahead, yell at that person, make them feel badly. And people who are listening to this may say, well, come on, we're just having fun and we're just, you know, heckling them. That's what you do at a sporting event. And I I get that. But what I want to do is I want to analyze the word heckle. Now, I looked it up, as I have done with other words, if you listen to some of the other episodes that I've recorded, and to heckle means, in one definition at least, to interrupt with derisive or aggressive comments or abuse. Now, here's a definition of verbal bullying. When an individual uses verbal language, example, insults, teasing, etc., to gain power over his or her peers. So heckle and bullying to me sound like they're very, very similar things. Now, someone will say, well, hey, hold on. You said to gain power. What am I trying to gain power over? And I say, well, you're trying to gain power that you want the referee to change his or her mind or you want the opponent who you're bullying and heckling to perform poorly so that your team can win, so that you can gain power in hopes of helping your team win. So your team that you're cheering for gains power. So it really is verbal bullying, what we're doing out there. Not we're, all of us, because I don't do it. Yeah, I did it one time for sure. Yeah, I was guilty and I had ego moments as a soccer coach and as a player. And yeah, I said some things, but you know what? When I started refereeing, is when I changed my tone. I said, oh my God, this is actually a really difficult thing to do, especially internally. You know, I was always questioning myself as a ref. Like, did I do this? So I made this bad call. Now, what am I going to do? Is this person going to like me? I don't want everyone to yell at me. There's a lot that referees go through emotionally and mentally. So I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the podcast that I have a group called Clarity for Parents of Athletes on Facebook. And I posted an article that was written by our local newspaper, the Albuquerque Journal, about the fact that their soccer, the local soccer community here for high school games, they are having a referee shortage and they are having to cancel high school games now, all because of referee abuse, both at the games, but then sometimes this carries on and trickles over after the games 
as well, where parents are berating these referees to the point that the referees are saying, this needs to change if we're going to continue refing. And to me, good for them because it's unnecessary. So I posted this article on the Clarity for Parents of Athletes Facebook page, and one of the members responded, and, and I'm going to quote this, said, my 14-year-old is a referee, and it is absurd that I have actually seen him centering a game for 10-year-olds and parents were yelling at him. I can't believe that they don't realize what they're doing. They're yelling at a kid because of a kid's game. People need to get some perspective and control over their emotions. Now, this is really unfortunate that this kid wants to go out and help his soccer community, wants to make some extra money, but these parents decide it's a good idea to yell and berate this 14-year-old who's refing 10-year-old soccer as if this 10-year-old soccer is leading to the World Cup or something. You know, think about what this leads to. This berating of officials, especially at the youth level, leads to referees not wanting to referee. One of my businesses that I have, I own an indoor soccer arena in town, and we've dealt with the same situations before where where people yell at our refs because of calls they make, and then they yell at us, you know, the front office, saying, you need to get better referees. And I say, okay, well... Yeah, we're trying, first of all. We're always trying to improve our referee program. But we're always looking for more referees because this is not exactly where referees are beating down our door saying, hey, let me go ref over there because we hear all these people yell at you while you're refing and doing your job. Sounds great, doesn't it? No, absolutely not. And then we we suggest, and, and not a sarcastic way, we suggest, you know what? It's like, are you? would you be interested in refereeing? And these people who are complaining say, no way, I don't want to be yelled at like that. So (laughs) so you can kind of see the irony behind it all. So like I said, it's become socially acceptable to do this. And why has it become socially more acceptable to berate referees? Well, some of it is modeling, of course. You know, we see these coaches on TV who are screaming at the referees, right? And they're berating them. And sometimes they berate their players as well. Not so much, I've seen it, where they berate the other players, but usually it's their own players. So this type of behavior, people see that and they start to emulate it. Coaches emulate it. Parents emulate it. They're saying, well, look, we see these guys doing it on TV. And whatever we see on TV is socially acceptable. That's part of role modeling that the people who are out there, the influencers, coaches, and players who perform at a higher level They're not thinking about how they are role models for other coaches, parents, and athletes as well for how they are responding to the referees. Now, coaches do that sometimes to sway the ref for future decisions, okay? They're angry, they're upset, but then they want to try and get the referee to question him or herself throughout the game in hopes that it can turn a big call later on in the game in their favor. And sometimes it happens. I know I've done that as a, as a referee where somebody's yelled at me to the point where maybe I start favoring them the other way, but there's also referees where if somebody yells at them, they will continue to make bad calls for them, you know, can go either way, but it's unhelpful. The, the berating usually calm discussion up to a point can help out, but berating there's only usually 
one way that it goes and it's negative for somebody that's participating in the game, whether it's the coach or the players. Now, the other reason why you see coaches going crazy on the referees out there is, of course, they want their teams to win. But what's behind that? Really, their want to win is a fear that they will lose. Now, if you've listened to all my episodes where it's just me talking personally, I recorded an episode early on about every negative and unpleasant thought that you've ever had or that anybody's ever had. It comes from really three branches of what I call contaminated thinking. These three things, any negative thought or uncomfortable thought, any bit of anxiety, frustration, pressure that you felt comes either from feeling like you have a lack of control over something or someone in your life, you have a fear of not having acceptance or approval, or not having security. And what security means, security of job, security of money, of cars, other material goods, security of relationships sometimes. So these coaches are angry at the ref. So they're yelling at them because they have a fear that their team will lose. And essentially, that's what the parents do as well. They have a fear that their child will lose, the child's team will lose, and that they may not get some kind of approval in their lives, security of being on the team, the approval of others, right, on the team, the approval of the coach if they don't perform well. Or it can be as simple as the fact that they don't want their child to have some sort of quote-unquote negative emotion resulting from the loss. Or they feel like they have a lack of control. That's a huge issue because somebody else is making a decision for your child. And same thing for these high-level coaches, any coach out there, right? Somebody is making a decision does lead to you not having control over the situation. So it's the same thing for coaches. The referee is in control of the game and is directly responsible for making calls which these coaches can fear will lead their team to some kind of loss. And then it can trickle down from there. They have too many losses. They won't coach the teams that they want. They won't have the jobs that they want. They won't coach the players. They won't be seen in a certain light. They won't be making so much money. Right? They won't be seen as this great, fantastic coach. All because they are looking for something outside of them that makes them complete and makes them feel whole. It identifies them as something. I've talked about this in a lot of the episodes that I've done in the past. This is the outside-in illusion that something from outside of you will make you whole and make you complete and directly leads to your happiness. When these things, like winning, doesn't directly lead to your happiness, your emotions. It's winning plus your thoughts equals the emotion. And those thoughts can change over time. They're not permanent. The winning is permanent. But your thoughts behind the winning always changes depending on where your level of consciousness is, your level of awareness is, how high you're vibrating, how high your, your vibe is. If you're vibrating at a higher level or a lower level. If you're a lower level, you tend to think of things and look at things more negatively. Now, what we do when we're yelling at the referees or yelling at players or yelling at anyone, (laughs) 
outside of a sporting event is we're role modeling for our children to behave in the same manner. Now, do children know how and when it's okay to yell and berate others and when it's not? Young children, well, sometimes they know more than the adults do, but as they grow into adolescence, then they start to adapt that kind of behavior because children will see like, well, hey, you're telling me to speak kindly to others, but I see what you're doing here. You're not getting your way because this referee's making a call against your team and now you're yelling at them. So what should I do? I think most people try and teach their children to solve problems and conflict in diplomatic ways. But no, not everyone, of course. There are some parents who have no problem encouraging their children to use physical means to solve problems. And I get it. Sometimes you're backed into a corner and you need to defend yourself physically. But for the majority of people, the majority of time, they're not in need of physically defending themselves. So how do you teach your child to deal with conflict when they're not getting what they want in life? Are you sending the same message with what you're saying to your child versus what you're saying to others, whether it's a game or on the streets in parking lots? at the store, with your partner? Now, do you think it's possible that if children receive conflicting messages, they could resort to yelling at others when they don't get their way, including possibly yelling at you? How would you respond to that? I've been in that sort of parent-child dynamic with my daughter, and let me tell you something, it can lead to a downward spiral of the relationship, and only a parent recognizing their role in the dynamic can change that. Now, luckily, Along with some professional help, I was able to do that, and the relationship that my daughter and I have now is incredible. The adults are the ones who are responsible to look internally and figure out why things are triggering them. I feel like when somebody's watching a sporting event and the referee makes a call against that person's team, they take the opportunity to let out all the frustration all the anger that they're feeling in their lives out in what's become a socially acceptable way. They bring their emotions that they carry on with them to the arena, to the stadium, to the court. And whenever that referee blows their whistle, boom, that's their opportunity to let it out. Now, I get it. I get it. I've been frustrated before as well. And sometimes, yeah, doing something physical, including yelling, not necessarily at somebody, but yelling in general, sometimes can make somebody feel good temporarily. It's a release of energy. All the energy is pent up. But is it okay to do when it comes at the cost of somebody else? Now, this is a serious topic, but I want to take just a brief moment and play you something from one of my favorite shows, How I Met Your Mother, which talks about this chain of yelling. The lesson of Blauman is that when your boss screams at you, you never scream back. That's why there's a little thing in corporate America I like to call the chain of screaming. Screaming? Yes. The chain of screaming starts at the top. Arthur's boss's boss screams at Arthur's boss. Arthur's boss screams at Arthur. Arthur screams at you. You go home and scream at Lily. Lily screams at one of the kids in her kindergarten class. Then that kid screams at her dad, Arthur's boss's boss. 
and the whole thing starts all over again, thus completing the circle of screaming. I thought it was a chain of screaming. It's a circle, Ted. I called it a circle. I don't scream at Lily. And I don't scream at my kids, none of whom have parents who work at Marshall's firm. So it's not a circle. Fine. You want it to be a chain of screaming? It's a chain of screaming. I came up with a circle idea halfway through because I thought it was a more elegant metaphor, but fine, ruin it. You guys always undermine me when I'm trying to make a point and I'm sick of it. God, I'm surrounded by idiots. Idiots. <laughs> See, doesn't everyone feel better now? Now, have you ever been in a situation where somebody yells at you and then you turn around and yell at somebody else? It's pretty hilarious comedy, what How I Met Your Mother did in this episode, and they do in a lot of different episodes. They do a lot of things that are pretty hilarious that completely make sense, at least in my life. Now, another reason why people decide to yell at referees is because they fear that their team will not win, whether it's their own team that they're following or if it's even their child's team. So with this fear that their team will not win, what does that lead to? People are so afraid to lose sometimes. And I like to win. I definitely didn't like to lose in the moment. But as a coach and as a player, as a boss, as a business owner, sometimes losing is the best thing to help people grow. As long as we realize that losing doesn't define who we are. We're not quote unquote losers. It's a chance to say, what do I need to make me better at what I'm doing? And I've grown up as a, a lot as a coach from losing, and my teams and players have gotten better after losses, more so than winning. And again, I enjoyed winning, but what I've realized after I haven't been coaching as much is that winning wasn't so much what I enjoyed. I enjoyed so much more the connection that it took my players to have in order to win. With soccer, you have 11 players moving basically for 90 minutes of the game. So there's a lot of variables that can happen on the field. So you have to be in sync with one another. And it's the same thing for all sports, even sports that are stopping and going like football, basketball. You have to be in sync with each other in a team sport in order to be successful. That's what I enjoyed the best when I got to see my players performing that way. It wasn't the winning itself. So like I said, losing is a chance for people to grow. But again, if parents start to identify their child or themselves as a quote-unquote loser, then it's much more difficult to learn those lessons. We have to teach our children that losing a game does not define who they are. That leads to less fear which leads to wanting to do things better at a higher level, to train more. Minus those video game distractions and phone distractions and and electronics in general. Those can interfere with that desire to want to grow and to want to go and train on your own and get better on your own, which that's what it takes to be at a high level of anything, is that discipline away from distractions, whatever they are, whether they're electronics or something else. Sometimes losing is the best thing that can happen to somebody, even your child. Now, these referees that are being abused, they also want to get better because they know they make mistakes and they want to grow as referees, but it's difficult to stay motivated at your job when people are yelling at you and threatening you. 
Just think about your job. How would you perform at your job if someone came into your office and yelled at you, especially when they didn't work at your company? They didn't pay your paychecks. It's bad enough when your boss does it. But imagine when, if somebody, some, some parent, or imagine if some referee came into your office and started yelling at you about whatever you do for a living. I don't think you'd be very motivated from that point. Now, chilling out on the refs can lead to more refs wanting to referee. And with more refs wanting to referee, that increases the level of competition within the refs. They will want to get better and feed off each other, right? It's just like if you have a, some kind of super team that everyone wants to be on, that super team is super because they have options to pick up players. But if you have a team where you only get 12 players at tryouts, that team's going to struggle a little bit more. So it's the same concept as the referee pool. The more referees there are, the better they will be. But again, it's hard to keep that referee pool going if people are constantly berating them over soccer game, basketball game, football, whatever it is. Teams will win or lose. This is life. And that's the best lesson that you can teach your child. Your child will have ups and downs in life. And that's reality, right? Think about your life. What did you grow most from? The ups or the downs? Do your best to teach your child how to deal with the downs. You know, I teach my son to feel what he's feeling when he's down, to feel what he's feeling fully, and then get back up quickly, physically speaking, because I know that's the best way to respond when something doesn't go in his way in a non-physical way as well. It's a fantastic metaphor. When you fall down, you get up. But don't be afraid to let your child feel their feelings and to sit with their feelings. Because if we just get up right away and we ignore everything, sometimes we learn not to process our feelings, all right? Or we become, we start to develop having a fear of feeling anything negative. The more that we can be comfortable feeling any kind of feeling that we have, the better it is. The more you resist feelings, the more our children resist feelings, the more they will persist. Feelings are simply made from thoughts. And that's it. But as long as we realize we will always have a sense of control within ourselves, we always will have approval within ourselves. And as we learn to love unconditionally, we will always have that sense of approval. We won't go seeking it out in others. If we can teach our children to love unconditionally, to love ourselves unconditionally, but to love each other, their peers, their friends, their coaches, and yes, the referees. If we learn to apply as much unconditional love as possible into our children, that is what will make our planet a much better place to live. All about unconditional love. Everybody's always doing their best, including referees, including your child, including you. And the more we can love unconditionally, the more everyone will flourish. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and just know I'm always here for you, whether it's to do a workshop for your teams or your parents of your teams, to work with your small group, to work with you individually. I'm always available. Just go to my website, aclearmind.com. Thanks again for listening. Much love to you and many blessings. 